These things are inexplicable for me, but they're as inexplicable as, you know, I have seen the Vibhuti pouring off pictures in various parts of the world or the Amrit dropping off things. I know these things aren't in the big picture that important, but if you're a little, I don't know, you're living in a village somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and suddenly, I've seen this in a man in Dagestan, mm -hmm. This Vibhuti appears on his photograph. I mean, the joy that it gives is incredible. You know, this, this omniscience thing is incredible. And I actually am more moved by devotees who have never seen Swami in the flesh than those that come here and see him. And those that see him in the flesh can easily be misled and think that he is this in the flesh. It's a very easy mistake to fall into, and everyone's, you know, wanting to get up the front and because they think he's going to, you know, is he going to see me, look at me? It's it's so easy to fall into that trap. Um, but over there, they don't have this possibility, so they're seeing with inner vision. I'm humbled to the size of an atom when I see what these Russians do, and I'm so grateful that I've been given the chance to do this and to bring some joy. And so I always give it a concert wherever I go. Lord of the universe is walking towards us. Lord of the universe is walking towards us. Shower the rose petals. Shower the rose petals. Dear listeners, thank you for joining us for part two of this conversation with British musician, songwriter and blues diva Dana Gillespie. In part one, we paused where Dana told us of her fascinating discoveries of size glory in remote parts of the former USSR. Let us now continue this conversation from where we paused last time. I never have enough CDs. I can't physically carry enough, you know. Because there's such a demand. Yeah, which, and I just get on stage and I said, listen, make copies. Bootleg, pirate, do it. In no fact, copyright. No, no, because yeah. I think for budgeons, it's Swami's yeah. music. It should be global. 
I long for somebody to come into my life and go, let me handle all your whole stock of CDs and I'll handle the catalogue because I'm not a businesswoman. I'm a musician and I can't find anyone that knows how to do it or has had enough oomph to, to come to me and say, I can do it. But one day he'll send the right person. I'm sure he will. Because I can't physically get them to all these countries. You know, well, I can carry in my bag maybe a hundred pieces and then you've got over the limit of your luggage. I must wear a few clothes. Having got up on stage, I've got to look presentable because one is representing the Lord, actually, and bringing good news. Uh, Diana, there's a lot of um, element of Sufism, I think Swami has put you in this role where you're going to these uh, for, um, these Muslim countries in the former USSR yeah. republics is because you have a very strong Sufi connection from a long time ago and even the book that you have produced, Mirrors of Love, and um, one of the CDs, there's beautiful um, sayings from various faiths which actually resonates what Swami says and a lot of the content is Sufi. Where did that uh, connection start? I, well, I suppose it, I found it more logical for me that all is one and, you know, I mean, okay. You're Ru a Church of England girl. I was born, but I always felt uncomfortable with this. this. I, I actually never, I, even now, I don't really like the sign of the cross because for me it represents pain and suffering. Every English church has, you know, Jesus, the blood dripping off him, looking agonised. And over here everything is joyous and, and, and lovely and... As a child, I used to really be unhappy being told by the priest, only through Jesus are you going to find salvation. The rest of you are going to go to hell and damnation. This, uh, this as a child, I could not accept. And so I, I, after I was confirmed, which I must tell you I only did because my mother paid me £30 to go through this <laughs> ritual, and I did it for the £30 because I could have got some more drum lessons. I'm being honest with you now over this. But I always felt uncomfortable with what I felt were lies. But the moment I started to read any of the Sufi writers, if you read Al-Ghazali, Ibn al-Arabi, their love is so completely all-enveloping. and very strong bhakti element there. Absolutely. And it's not with any rituals. No. You don't need a ritual if, uh, you know... There was, you know, there are some great, great saints who, who, in in the Sufi tradition, who were doing things that Jesus was doing. But because the Church of England back in England probably didn't bother to read about them, uh, they thought that he was the only one. This was how it affected me. I'm happy if everyone else feels how they feel. Everyone should be free to choose whatever form they want. But I, I didn't feel comfortable because, as you said, I probably was in a past life a strongly old connected. Soul connected with Sufism. I think so. I probably lived in a desert. I can't even eat a date now with feeling a bit nauseous. And they, I probably <laughs> lived on dates, but I got this passion for camels. Uh, Dana, you're a huge fan of India as well, much like Max Muller, who said, what India cannot teach me, I do not need to learn. Yeah, I endorse that entirely. Actually, now I have to spread it a bit further because now the whole world teaches me. But you want to know why I'm such a fan? Mm -hmm. Again, it must be a reincarnation thing. Because even I remember as a child of about five or six, my parents used to take me to watch polo at, at the Royal Windsor uh, grounds outside of London. And most little girls would be interested in the horses. I think I was probably interested that I was going to get an ice cream. But the main thing was that the Maharaja and Maharani Jaipur would always be there oh, in, in their full gear. 
And I remember always just going, oh, you know, looking, <laughs> yearning, and being fascinated <laughs> by them, their clothing. So, and then in the early 60s, in 63, because I was working a lot in early, well, I was seeing a lot of the early musicians, like Jimmy Page, who led Zeppelin, and, and we'd go to concerts with Ravi Shankar or Stad Vilyat Khan, anybody, anything to hear Indian music. I'd been to India once before uh, I'd been to Swami, but so I was already in love with the country. The moment my feet touched Indian soil, I knew I had come home. And, you know, for me, glorious Bharat is exactly that, glorious. And... Uh, Swami once was asked, I don't know who asked him, but he said, why is it that the Vedas are sung here? Why are only the great, great leaders, spiritual leaders born in India? And he had said, because only in India do they know how to live the message of the Vedas. I mean, you're not going to find some sort of saint being born in the out suburbia of London or in, you know, Detroit. It just doesn't happen. It's because this country is so special. Very sacred. Yeah. And, you know, it's very interesting. You said as a little girl, you used to watch the Maharaja and Maharani yeah. of uh, Jaipur. I think somewhere there in uh, in that little girl's heart, maybe there was an admiration for their regalia, the regalia they wore, because I think in later years, Swami has decorated you with a lot of gifts which have a very strong Rajasthani flavor. Maybe. I mean, I love color. I mean, nothing is more boring. I don't, I don't do gray, for example. <laughs> you won't see many. Or browns, because it's not my way. I, I love splashes of color. Um, I've always been colorful when I came here, but I but always in the background. But he did once give me eight saris in a week. Prior to the saris, you used to perform wearing your Western Shava. clothes and, uh, and a dupatta. Yes. But Tell us about that. Well, he often would come backstage, as I would call it, um, just to see that the du dupatta was pinned properly because, you know, with all my, my movements, you can't <laughs> have this thing flying off. Everything had to be. I mean, it still is covered, and rightly so, actually. But, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was quite capable of rushing out and forgetting that I should put a dupatter on because I was just... I always feel in my soul that I'm a bit like a Labrador puppy that wags its tail, knocks things over, and is happy to talk and see t to everyone. I have no... There's nobody that I don't love because I love everyone because everything, even people that don't like me, I love them, so that's all right. So it's just this kind of happy state. I've always been a bit like and that. And then came the saris all of a sudden? Switched yes, they to did. Saris. Well, he, yeah, I was called, you know that little sort of room at the side, not his interview room, but round the side where in the old days the ladies used to bring tiffin. Yes. I think it's his old yeah. kitchen. I was called in there and he gave me a stack of saris. And he gave me some saris, but one of them was the one I wore for the 80th birthday, but it was about five years before this, four years before. He gave me this thing that weighs a, ton it's it's heavenly rainbows and gold and he put it into my hand it's so heavy I dropped it <laughs> and our Lord was down on the floor picked it up faster than I could get down and I moved pretty fast and I knew as he gave it to me that I should wear it for the 80th birthday I just knew it mm -hmm. sometimes you know things intuitive knowing. yeah it's very clear yeah and I'm grateful when he gives me that because it you know every time that I thought I've known it I've made some terrible blunder, but when I'm really take time to listen inside and I know it's him, then then you can't make a mistake. And it's our duty as humans to tune our inner radio channel to the, you know, our radio receiver, you could say, to the best channel, because when we're in tune with him, we then get the best programs back. 
It, it just true. makes sense. It does. You have performed with some of the finest musicians around the world, yeah. but I understand Baba gave you an opportunity to perform with musicians from Glorious Bharat, our yes. local crop of musicians. Oh yeah, Prashanti Boy, fabulous. Boys. How was that? It was great. The first time was, I think, about nine years ago. And in fact, I was about to arrive with my own musicians. And um, two days before, and I got their tickets, everything. Two days, these weren't my blues musicians. It was other musicians I was doing. I think it might have been the Mirrors of Love album. And this was kind of Indian-y feel, but sung in English. And my musician said, oh, we've heard there's an outbreak of plague. We're not coming to India. Here's your tickets back. And I was totally stunned. So I arrived with no musicians, but I knew I was meant to perform. Somehow I knew. And Swami comes straight over to me and he says, well, where are your musicians? I said, Swami, I haven't got any with me. He said, I will send boys. Mm. So boys were sent. Uh, the house where I stay, there's a room at the back. And uh, we started practicing there. And I had about six boys, I suppose, six, seven boys. And um, they had never played that style before. And everyone worked a whole lot better. And I said, you know, on stage, I'll introduce you all by name. And they went, no, 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 we can't. We're Swami's boys, no names, please. And Swami came and sat in the room at the rehearsal. And the first thing he said, you introduce each one by name. Hmm. Because he, we used to perform in the Purnachandra Hall as well when it was empty and I'd be sort of sitting facing them and they'd all be facing the curtain because they were wise to the fact that Swami might have turned up. I didn't know about that. And they'd be playing away and suddenly all the music would just sort of peter out and stop. And I'd turn round and he'd be peeping through a crack in the curtain. Sometimes he'd peeping down there. Sometimes just a little bit of hair would come through and then they just sort of stopped. So this was great experiences. But one day, and this is a sweet story because it really shows the compassion of the Lord. One day he said, don't tell anyone, but I'm coming to the house on Thursday. You know, be ready. And I said, well, can I tell the boys? Yes, you can tell the boys. So boys were told. And I had to tell the house because things were prepared. Everything was polished clean and the silver was bought out. And there was a table laid out with, you know, about 15 plates of savoury stuff and 15 joyous bowls of pisum, which is my <laughs> thing I'm mad about. And I'd been um, worried about how they were going to learn this in time because this was absolutely not the style of music that they did. And in fact... Sai Prakash was on sitar, and this was early days of his playing the sitar. He'd only been playing for two years, so I used to make him play before the bhajans in the afternoon. And I'd been saying to the lady of the house where I stay, I said, you know, I don't know how this sitar play is going to do it. I mean, it's, it's really not on the ball. It's never going to work. And this used to bother me because the other instruments could somehow were merging in. And the first, on the day when Swami came, you could feel, he came to the house and you could feel his presence as he was coming in. We were just doing our songs and he walked in the door and just, as usual, everyone stops playing and there he is. And he sits in the chair and the first thing he says to me is, and what do you think of this boy? <laughs> and of course it was Sai Prakash and, and I was thinking, my God, what am what I to are we say? Gonna say? So I said, well, Swami, he's... he's really trying very hard, or well, he's practicing very hard was all I could say, but I actually thought he's going to be pretty out of tune on the day and I hope <laughs> nobody can hear him. And, um, 
And then we played the songs and he made comments. And actually, after the performance of doing the Mirrors of Love, he actually said to me, divine words. And that's because I'd taken the words of the Sufis and put them to music. Anyway, after the practice, we all go into the outer room and there's all the food laid out. And so I'm just handing out the savoury plates and I'm standing right behind him and I'm thinking, oh, Swami, I don't want any of that savoury stuff. Cut that out. I just love a bowl the of the pies. He just goes straight there, gives a little stir, smile, hands it to me, and then goes back to the savoury stuff. So those, you have to be careful what you think, because you may get it. In this case, I was happy to get it. But then there's a row of chairs, and so I'm just sitting down. I, I didn't actually like to sit next to him. That was kept empty out of respect. So I sat in the next one, and suddenly Sai Prakash, I know he probably would be blushing if he heard this, went into the other room and came back with a little silver pot of thing of cloves and he looked up at Swami with such love uh, in his face that it really stunned me I've I have read and I know that but I'd read that somebody had said if you really want to see Sai Baba you look at the love in everyone else's face and there you can mm. see the Lord and I looked in Sai Prakash's face and I remember thinking at the time this look is so amazing. I don't care if he hasn't even got any strings on his sitar. It's worth it for that look alone. Actually, he was fabulous on the night and everyone played perfectly well. But I learn in all these little signs, I feel as if God is taking me step by step to learn from little things, um, really small things. how important love is, you know, it overcomes everything in the end. Everything, it, you including know. Including musical imperfection. Yeah, but he landed up perfect. perfect. But this was a great experience. So I've had the boys come and play with me, I think about six times. And he, the first time they were very kind of slightly stiff and uncomfortable, you know. And I said, for goodness sake, musicians must look happy. I even said it last year, whatever you do, boys, don't sit there like blocks of stones. Look <laughs> happy because nothing is more depressing for an audience to look at people who aren't joyous with what they're doing. Every, I I'm want, sure it was a great learning experience for them to work with you. Yeah, and for me to work with them too, Likewise. especially at the 80th birthday. You know, I told everyone, please put a tent over the place where the musicians play. And they all said, no, no, it's not going to rain. I said, I know it's going to rain. Put a thing. So they put a shamiana on, but only for people who play sitting down. And I stand, I sing standing up. So I stood out in the rain, got rained on, and they sat under the cover. But these boys that I've had, I've been honoured to work with them. The dedication, the staying up late at night, you know, because they're working on their drama thing and they're working on a load of other things. I've, I learned from them too. It's a joy. It's an honor. Uh, Dana, you um, are so passionate about Swami and his teachings and your love. It just mm -hmm. comes through in everything you say. And yet it is, um, for some of us, it's very hard to make sense of the fact that you perform your music in places which are quite dark. <laughs> Extremely dark. And uh, where, uh, you know, people are not generally contemplating upon God in a club or a pub where you're performing. No. How do you reconcile the two? Well... Because I love everyone, I adore them. Even, you know, I'm singing in places where, let's face it, the half of the audience might be completely drunk and a lot of them might be smoking cigarettes. But I feel sorry for people that don't have the joy that knowing about him is in their life. But the least I can do is uplift them a bit with blues music. And if they've come out of there saying, God, that was a really great evening, even if they've had a few beers... Then job done, as far as I'm concerned. And, 
you know, not... I always liked Swami's description about in the morning when the sun rises over the, over the water lily pond, not every flower is out. This is how I see the audience, you know. Not, and, and they are as loved by Swami as anyone else. Swami was once... Somebody said to Swami, oh, so-and-so person, oh, he's very close to you. And Swami said, no, no. Nobody is more close to me than anyone else is close to me. Everything is equal. And this is how we have to be, non-judgmental. You know, if somebody... I'm a little funny with alcohol because I hate alcohol personally, and I've always hated it even as a child. That's the old Muslim of me coming out. So I don't quite know how drunkards are going to react. I'm a bit nervous. But if they're enjoying the music, then I'm giving them some pleasure. And... So I've sung in appalling places, you know, where you know, legless crowd. But blues music is good music and it's honest music and it's spiritual music. So me and my musicians, we do a good job. I've done it for so long, I've got very good at what I do. And it's if if one man in there goes home and thinks, I've had a great evening, even if he's not thinking of God, one day he will, and one day his his lotus blossom heart will be open. So I'm just entertaining them until he's ready. And uh, do you, uh, when you're performing in your heart, are you thinking of Swami while doing it? Often, yes. Well, if I think that maybe it's going to be a difficult audience or it's going to be, maybe it's a huge outdoor beer festival, heaven forbid, sometimes I have to do these things because my musicians have to eat. We all have to earn our living. And I think it might be tricky. What I usually do is I imagine Swami's hair like a big umbrella over the crowd. So there's sort of black fuzz. And uh, so it always goes better. My musicians aren't devotees. Um, um, but I, I sing songs. A lot of the blues, it's a bit like a guzzle. If you're young, you can think it's... It's physical love you're singing about. If you're old, you realize it's divine love. And blues is exactly the same. I can be singing a song. I, I won't give any of the titles because some of them might be not suitable for this interview. But sometimes that, you it's know, very all blues. In your face. Yes, absolutely. So they might think I'm singing about. It's like I said, that song I sang, Your Love is True, um, a the few days ago. They're all thinking I'm singing about some mere mortals. Uh, I guess, but I know who I'm singing about and, and, and I know who I'm writing about when I write. So sometimes if I can get a line in, like in I Sigh For You, I can get, if I take one step to you, take ten steps to me. Well, every devotee is going to know who I'm singing about, which is what I did in Singapore. There were devotees dotted around this audience. So they know lines like, why fear when I'm here or... Love All, Serve All might be slipped into a song or so hum. They don't think I'm probably singing a word they never heard of. It so doesn't hum. matter. So I, I have a good time and, it, and I know what's in my heart. Uh, and when you sit to compose your music and write your songs, it's always God you have in mind, Swami? I, I, I suppose it is, but I don't think of it as clinically as that. Mm -hmm. I, I sometimes... A melody might appear from, it can be from a car horn or a, a cat meowing. Suddenly I get an idea or I might hear a beat. Usually I write when I'm in Italy, which I spend a lot of time there, when I'm not in London. London, my house is too full of telephones. There's a television there. There's, there's electrical wiring. And, and it's a very small house. Swami once said to me, you live in a tiny little house, he said. 
in the almost like that. I'm trying to do him. But I'm aware that London is masses of static energy and I don't write well there. I go to Italy and I've got 180 degrees of sky and it's peaceful. And I might hear, I might be given a backing track by somebody who wants me to write some lyrics um, if I'm only right, or to put the melody. There might be just chords or nothing, just a beat, uh, or might be a, a shruti box going. And I will start to, maybe I might have a few books open on the table and, uh, or I might think, like in the, looking at this CD here, um, in the Garden of Heavenly Peace. I just thought that's a great sentence. So you get a germ of an idea and then you work around it. And I'm often thinking of, I don't really think of it as God. It doesn't have a, it's almost limiting. It's just, uh, I think of ideas that people might feel good listening to. Positive. Uh, Positive, yes. Um, I mean, occasionally I've written on my new blues CD, I've got a couple of heartbreaking things because of relationships and things, because I think people can relate to that too. Uh, but mostly I sing up subjects and I just want people to feel good. That's my duty on the planet. And it should be everyone's duty, you know, to fe make everyone else feel good. But I had a mother who instilled these amazing things. My mother was full of wisdom, always saying pithy sayings like, blessed is he that expecteth nothing, for he shall not be disappointed, stuff from the Bible. And she used to drive the car, taking me to school, singing hymns at the top of her voice. It was just a melody for us. We weren't particularly religious family, but it, they were good melodies. Mm -hmm. and, and your mother did accompany you to see Sai Baba? Yes. Because of your interest? Yes. Tell us about that. Um, well, when I came back the first time, when was it, nearly 30 years ago, full of enthusiasm, I thought everybody... In the world it, should know about Everyone, this. you know, the good news, he's here, you know, must tell you about it. And they all blanked me. They all said, you've lost the plot, you're out of your head, you're off your rocker. The only ones that believed me were my parents hmm. because they said, we know you and if you've seen something, we believe you. So my mother, well, they'd remarried my parents, so I had two sets of parents. Mm. They were both great, so I had a double set, which, which is actually was a boon. And my stepfather's fantastic. My mother said, yeah, I want to, he wanted to go. So I accompanied them. Within the first year, I came three times, once alone, with my father's wife, and then my mother and stepfather. And um, my mother said, I know that when my husband because he was 10 years old and the, when he is no more, I will come again. Because it was difficult for him. He was very slim and there was no, very English. If you were at Central Casting and you were about to cast uh, an English man, you would <laughs> cast him as the English man. And, you know, and when sitting on the sand, no shade, and uh, it was difficult for him. But the moment he died, within the next year I bought my mother here, it was, she was in tears a lot. And in fact, Swami didn't talk to her. Uh, in the the first year. I think she was too fragile emotionally. And I've noticed too that if you're too fragile, and I've been at times fragile, he's not going to take some weeping woman in there. He doesn't want that sort of thing. He wants us strong and he makes us strong from far off sometimes. So the second year after my stepfather died, my mother was stronger. But then when we were called in, and we had quite a few interviews together, he and I, and uh, with my mother, and I often would sit very close that I could interpret because sometimes my mother wouldn't know what Abhishek meant, mm. you know, things like that. 
And she had quite bad arthritis, which now cousin I've got, and he stroked her hands like that and said, no, oh, arthritis. And I went, Tommy, I've got it too. And he gently pushed my hand. I think I'm dealing with your mother now. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, he's got such a way. And, but he wants us to be happy. And my mother was happy at the end. You know, he said to her, what's your religion? And she was quite surprised by this question. And she said, well, Church of England. He immediately gave her a, an amazing uh, crucifix which is an odd thing to give to Church of England because the crucifix is not the main thing. It's for Roman Catholics. Yeah. You know, he was great with her. You've known Swami for 30 years. You performed for him. You've integrated him in your life, which for many is very diverse from a spiritual path because mm. you are in a business that involves glamour and money and entertainment. Um, how do you relate to Bhagwan Sri Satisai Baba at the end of this? All these many divergent experiences that you go through in life. Who is Sai Baba for you? The more I come here or the more I think about him when I'm traveling or, or at home, I realize that I know absolutely nothing. I mean, I can talk till I'm blue in the face, but I know nothing about him. And I now know that the emptier I am of having no desires, and not wanting anything is by far the best way to be. I just have to try and hope that the things I do do are the right things and that they are guided by him. I don't really want to mess up any more than I have done in my past. But we all learn probably the, the worst mistakes is our, our best learning curve. I don't know what he is. Um, and, you know, many people who come here all say, they feel his presence so much more when they go back home. I'm talking about the Westerners and probably a lot of Indians. And I think this is a good thing because we have to realize the body is so unimportant. His body or any of our bodies, in the end, it's unimportant. It's the spirit and, and it's his message of love. And this is the thing, you know, there's so much literature on him and I often... And reading stuff about him, and, and I'm always happy when the Sanatana Sarati drops on my doorstep. But I don't think instantly of how he, you see him now. Though often when I'm on a bus or a plane, or I still travel by bus in London because it's the easiest way to get around, I suddenly get a glimpse. I think I've seen him over there, and then I see, no, it's just a bit of orange with black above it on an advertising board or something. But I see him often, but not like he looks, it's just, oh, that, oh, no, it's not him, you know. But he's always in the back of my head. And even as we're talking, or if I'm talking to anybody, I've got in the back of my head, Swami, Swami, Swami. It, it just keeps going on in the back of my head. That's the name I, how I speak to him as Swami. Some people will be saying Baba, occasionally Baba. Um, I'm not usually saying Sai Ram, Sai Ram, Sai Ram, which a lot of people are. I just, Swami, you know, please guide me is this the right thing to do if I get offered a job and I look in my book should I take this and I will think you know is this is this ethically right should I Swami help me and and I think I hope that he gives me the right decisions so emotionally and spiritually you're so dependent um, or you're involving Swami in a lot of your uh daily activities at the Everything. same time you're uh, exactly and at the same time you say you have still have no idea who he is no, so, uh, so this mystery this mystery that Satisai Baba represents to you is so overwhelmingly present in every aspect of your life if you had to explain this rather irrational behavior uh, to somebody who did not understand Baba how would you uh, say that how would you explain it well I try I'm no scientist but I try and explain and I go back to quantum physics mm -hmm. 
sense that we are all matter and energy. In other words, we are all one. So he is the same as us, only he's more than us. I mean, I know he's always said if he appeared in his truly cosmic form, we'd all burn to pieces. And there's this famous Sufi saint said, if I told you what I really know, everyone would shrivel up and die. And it's true, we, we don't need to know. We, we, we're, we're limited. We can't, our brains aren't big enough to take in that whole thing of what he is. So I just try and explain. People, for people who don't know, I say he's a spiritual guru. I say I've got a guru now. I usually say it happens to women my age. You know, I'm nuts. Get on, let me get on with my crazy life. But if they're interested, I will try and explain about, you know, the second incarnation, there's a third one to come. And if I see them glazing over and they can't take that information, I back off a bit. But I try and, and talk to people as they can understand it. Muhammad himself said, only speak to people at the level that they can understand. And, you know, from the, a leaf to a snowflake being all over the world completely different. How amazing this is. We are all one. And when you know this, and when you know it, not just not read it, but you actually know it, and it's in your, it's in your cells, you function differently. I mean, I don't function through life as I used to 30 years ago, but I'm also aware that he could take this feeling away at any moment. I could be slung back on the heap of non-understanding. The Sufis call it a state of contraction and expansion. And I'm aware that pride will be a terrible downfall, pomposity, the most awful one, or thinking you know anything, terrible. These are, for me, the sins that would, would destroy me. And so I could be back down there in a state of absolute non-grace. I don't take anything for granted. It's, if I feel this way and this joyous, it's because he's given it to me. It's nothing I've done. I don't do anything. I just sit here and chat away. <laughs> Dana Gillespie, it's been such an honor to listen to you and have this conversation with you. Thank, thank you well, for thank you, sparing Karina. us your time. It's been a great honor to sit and talk to you, Karuna. Likewise, and I'm sure our listeners will absolutely enjoy listening to your riveting conversation. I hope so, and that's what it's for. Thank you. Sairam. Sairam. Sairam, dear listeners, you just heard part two of our conversation with Miss Dana Gillespie. If you have missed part one of this conversation, please visit our website www.radiosci.org and key in the name Dana D-A-N-A in the audio search and listen to it at your leisure. This came to you as part of our series Tryst with Divinity. We look forward to your feedback and our email ID is listener at radiosci.org. Thank you and Sairam from Prashant Tinilayam. Well,